everybody. Welcome into another edition of Head Coach U. I am Brian Fisher, joined as always by former BYU and Virginia head coach Bronco Mendenhall and Bronco. Not only do we have a special guest this week, but it's game week. It, it is so exciting oh, to see man. that college football is back and, and better than ever. And excited to have on the youngest head coach in, in the Power Five, Kenny Dillingham, the new head coach there at Arizona State. Kenny, thanks so much for jumping on with us. Of course. Appreciate y'all having me. Now, now what, what what has fall camp been like for, for you? Not only your, your first one there at your alma mater at ASU, but your first one in charge a, a, as a head coach. What, what, what's it been like for fall camp for you? Yeah, it's, I mean, a lot different. I mean, normally fall camp, you're worried about, you know, are you installing the schemes? Are you behind what you're good at, what you're bad at? Now you're worried about, oh, which kid do I need to call tonight to make sure, you know, he's in a good headspace. Uh, do we need to re- limit reps, even though our DC thinks we need 75 plays tomorrow? You know, do we need to limit reps based off of, you know, fatigue, right? Keeping guys healthy and, and finding those balances. So I think that's been the, the greatest difference for me is you still love the football piece, but being able to manage the football piece with the stuff that actually wins games and the stuff that wins games is not necessarily the X's and the O's. It's all the other stuff. So all the other stuff. And I think what, I, what I'm what i hearing you say is that your lens is really expanding. So it goes from being an offensive coordinator to the specifics of a defensive adjustment to a formation uh, to really the game plan and, and the schematic emphasis. And now by moving a diff- to a different office, a couple doors down and a bigger office and a bigger chair, all of a sudden the the vision starts to expand wider and deeper and broader and it's occupying more of your time. hundred percent. I mean, hundred percent. I mean, you got to be able to see the, the bigger picture from the kid's point of view more than in my opinion, you ever had to see it mm. because the OC and the DC and the coordinators, I remember my time, it was all about how can I make this the best it could be. And you almost get obsessed as yep. an OC or DC with, your side of the ball or with what you feel like you need to be successful. And in my role now, it's a lot more, okay, what do I think we need to be successful and balancing that and taking info from all the sides of the ball and the players and being able to put together a plan where not everybody agrees with you. And you're kind of on an Island at times because either you're taken away from Peter to pay Paul and somebody's going to disagree. And can you get all those people to believe in the bigger vision, right? And trust that you're putting the team in the best position to be successful. I think that's what's made great head coaches like Coach Mendenhall. You can tell that his staff all the time had belief in his vision. I think that's what wins games. You know, and, and what you're talking about, uh, that trust, it takes time, right? And it takes results. And it takes consistency and and all of those things, unfortunately, really aren't conducive to the world of being a head coach now because you don't have much time. You have to produce results super fast. And if you're not consistent, you really don't get a chance to do it again. You know, so there's increased pressure. And so what you're describing and use the word that I really, man, it just jumped out. You said we and to be a great coordinator. I agree. You have to be almost obsessed to do a great job. And to have your side of the ball ready. And sometimes you that can be at the expense of the other side. Um, however, the head coach's role, as you just said, you're not always liked. And it's lonely and it's isolated. And then early on, though, in your last comment, you talked about uh, being mindful of the players. And I think now more than ever, 
Um, someone has to be their voice and their advocate um, and with the right boundary. And, it, and so it sounds like you're, you're finding that space of, of how to manage the coordinators and the players and find the right uh, buy-in to accomplish the right plan and your vision uh, to move you forward. No question. I mean, one thing I learned from Gus Malzahn was one of the best things he did was he had a leadership council. Yeah. And uh, they would meet and they would, he would use them as the voice of the team. And I think that was something that I learned from him. Uh, that was extremely valuable that I always knew that he, uh, there were times where I felt like the team was teetering uh, there and that meeting that he would have, and you would see a different, a different team that next practice. It was, and I've always, and I always couldn't figure it out until I figured out there was a leadership council. And it was always a trend that after those meetings, there was always a better practice or the team had a, a, a different vision for what it was going to look like that day. And it was almost because they felt like they were collaborating with their head coach and they took a little more ownership. So that's something that I've tried to take some pride in is truly listening to what they want Mm -hmm. Um, and then explaining why we need to do these things and trying to get them to understand the why we have to condition after practice and to show them clips. So I think, uh, you know, what your team believes is really, really defines who you are as a coach. So if your team doesn't believe in the vision, then, you know, you have no chance. Yeah. And, and really, uh, promoting that vision and sharing that vision. uh, I don't think it can ever be overdone, uh, because the outside and external forces are pulling against that. And those other voices are so prevalent uh, that if you ever get tired of sharing your vision, someone else will share theirs in place of it, right? And when you're when you're talking about um, the players, right, their involvement usually equals increased ownership. And so many times you won't agree, but even even when they know they're heard, right, and and that you did listen. And that there's just, as you said, their countenance, the locker room, just it becomes their team more than what it was when sometimes in camp and sometimes maybe after a tough loss, it kind of is your team. And, and I think that's what you're, you're talking to when you were, when you were considering uh, your staff and, and who was going to be with you, knowing how important buy-in was going to be and belief, what were you thinking about and what criteria were you using to, to try to surround yourself with the right people? Number one was good people. That was criteria one. The football coach was secondary. Uh, there's a lot of good football coaches. So number one was good people. Uh, so I wanted good people. I wanted people that somebody worked with them in the past because anybody can interview well, right? That's really easy. You know, so I wanted somebody I knew and trusted to him come recommended from them. So a good person who came recommended, right? Who at the end of the day doesn't have an ego. Uh, because we have to all have a shared vision. And in today's day and age of college football specifically, there's so many different agendas people can have. And to get an entire staff with one agenda, and that's just pouring into our players, is challenging. So I kept that the forefront of what I wanted. And the scheme piece, I knew I would have to do my research. And if we, and if I wasn't, you know, knee-jerk reaction to somebody who came up open or available or oh, this person has 27 years of NFL experience. If I kept all that out of the way and just watched the film for the football and trusted people I trusted with the person, I felt like we would get kind of the vision that I wanted, which was good people who are good football coaches who don't have an ego so that we can all pour into the same vision to get to where we want to go. Yeah. 
and demonstrated competencies really enhances trust. And you use the word trust a lot. And when you're thinking about your players now, kind of the same question and, and what players you're looking after and what qualities um, fit with you best and what are you aspiring to have with you? What are you thinking about when you're, when you're adding players to your program? You know, on our wall uh, is a big sign that says, be a good person. I want some, and being a good person is very, very easy, but also very difficult at the same time. And because everybody knows what it means. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter where you're from. You know, college football is a melting pot of people within a program, but everybody knows what being a good person is. Everybody knows when they're towing a line, right? And our deal is I want good people who care. That's it. If you get a lot of good people who care, once again, we will be the measure of what the standard for are you talented enough to be on our team. But if you're not a good person that doesn't care about football, that doesn't care about people, then eventually you're going to make decisions that are actually hurting the team, regardless of how talented you are. And especially when you're not talking about, the, you know, we're not going to get a team of third picks in the draft. If you're going to get a team of third picks in the draft and you have seven guys dropped in the first round, you can probably be a little more aggressive to go get high, high talent. But if you're not getting seven, 12, five stars in one class, then the character and who the person are has to be the highest measurable when you're bringing people into your program, in my opinion. And that's something that I firmly believe in. And then they got to love ball and care about football, man. You got to, you got to love it. I say it all the time. You got to love this crap. Like if you don't love it, you got a problem. Like don't, don't practice. Don't be here. Leave the meeting room. If you don't want to pay attention, I'm not going to force you to pay attention. Just leave. You're not going to play anyways. So who cares? We're wasting everybody's time. Like I want that passion in the room. When you're, when you're looking for the passion um, and what, uh, and you're trying to almost like a detective look for evidence when they're playing high school football or, or maybe when they're transferring right? Or however they're going to come to you. What do you think are the, I don't know, when you see it um, in terms of evidence on film or maybe evidence when you're in a conversation, what are those things that you say, man, that I know that guy's going to be passionate and really love what, what he's doing? One is eye contact. Guys that when you talk about certain subjects, eyes light up, right? If I ask them, if I'm in person, I ask, hey, uh, we have this pressure where we bring gut cross and you get to get one-on-one -on -one with a, a running back and you play linebacker and their eyes light up. Okay. He can't like, Whoa, like that actually excites him sitting in a chair. Imagine what it's going to do on the field uh, from a character perspective. It's how you treat the people you bring on your official visit and how you treat your coaches when you're uh, at practice, right? If you're opening the door for the person who you feel like is your loved one, whoever that is, a grandma, a grandpa, a mom, a dad, an uncle, an aunt, a mentor. If you're opening the door, if you're making sure they're taken care of, right? Well, I know, I can see a little bit into who you are and how you're wired. If you're over there and you kind of ignore them for two days and don't ever talk to them and there's no conversations like, okay, or you do something that's, you know, tell them to go do something for you right? You get a little insight into how this person is wired to the people that matter to him the most. And we're never, ever going to trump that. That person they brought on their visit is probably going to be more important than me for a long time, at least three to four years. So if they treat them like that, how are they going to treat me? How are they going to treat our staff? How are they going to treat the academic advisor, 
right? And I think those are the two pieces that we really look at when I am watching the character, the be a good person piece, and then combining that with do they love ball is talk about ball and just see their eyes light up. Yeah. When you, uh, Brian asked you earlier about what fall camp was like as a head coach, I'll kind of fast forward a little bit now as game week is approaching. What what does that seem like now as a head coach versus a coordinator, knowing there hasn't been a game yet, but just approaching the game, what what changes and what differences are you seeing already? Well, I'm trying to find time to watch defense. <laughs> I, uh, I'm in there watching a uh, game plan and I'm watching offense and I'm becoming, you know, my inner self because I'm in here and it's there's no players around. You've got – 36 hours of credit plan is like, all right, becoming obsessed again with the X's and the O's of the offense. I'm like, okay, I need to go watch defense. Like I cannot, <laughs> this, I, and you got to pull yourself away in order to create a, a true, in my opinion, you know, game plan on both sides of the ball. If I never watch defense and I don't engulf myself in that, I don't, I won't understand that this is an explosive team that plays tw- that rotates three deep in wideouts. And if we get into an 80 snap game, we're in trouble. And if I don't do that, you know, we may score some points, but we ain't going to stop them and then vice versa. So I, I'm really, this is really day two of me doing it. And I'm like catching myself becoming obsessed with offensive formations and having to leave and like make myself watch some defense and try to get out of that mold, which isn't going to be easy. Yeah. It, it's tough because, uh, Right. Your reputation and the success that you've achieved to this point has come by being laser focused and and as you were used the word obsessed on one side of the ball. And now, right, that one side of the ball is one team and that's all sides. And then how you balance your time and what trade offs you make while not uh, jeopardizing or giving up your competitive advantage in what you do best. Right. That's. Um, a really delicate thing. And and so ideally you're looking for complementary football against the right opponent where all sides fit together. But that draw, that magnetic pull back to the offensive staff room is, right, that's pretty powerful. 100%. And that's, that I would say right now, that's the, that's the greatest challenge. And that's not even including the other pulls that you naturally get away from watching the tape. Well, now you have another pull, which is the other side of the ball and special teams pulling you away from the tape. So you really got to have people you trust around you. uh, And you have to be able to not micromanage, in my opinion, but share the vision for how you feel like you want to attack. So I may not be able to come up with all the plays, but I can say, hey, I've watched tape and in this formation they are 60% staying in a too high shell. We need to find a way to run the ball to the right. I don't care how we do it. You guys can watch the stunts and the blitzes, but like we need to run the ball right and have a play action, a screen, and shot off of it. And I think that's really where I'm trying to progress to is being able to give bigger picture ideas and then letting people you trust run with those philosophies. That um, really well said, and I, and I, I think what I heard you describing is just conceptual – um, feedback. And so you're giving concept feedback, which is, as you're already finding, it's hard to have time for the specific feedback in all phases at all time and to be ready to do that because your time is ends up, you just run out of time. But the concepts and how you apply, just as you mentioned, how you're going to attack, what are the complements off of that? And doing that for each side of the ball is besides then, right, managing all the players and everything else the head coach does, pretty soon it's game time and and man, you're 
you're wondering where it all went. And it, it's fun to just see your eyes light up as you, as your mind is racing and you're talking about it, um, kind of formulating the plan even as you go, right? And, and now it's day two of, of being pulled and trying to find enough defensive time. And how about the defensive players? And how are you finding time to, to build relationships with them and what emphasis or, um, you know, what maybe methodologies are you working on to, to ensure it's because some coaches, right. And this is, if they're an offensive emphasis coach, sometimes uh, they're not great with the defensive players. If it's a defensive emphasis coach, sometimes they're not great with the offensive players. And so I'm interested to hear how, how you're trying to, to work through that. Yeah. I mean, I've been going into defensive meetings. I haven't really gone to as many offensive meetings as defensive meetings sitting in giving an offensive perspective to a defensive meeting mm -hmm. uh, as much as I can. I go over to the defensive side of the ball and practice during individuals. And maybe I'm over there for individual and I'm over at the offense for offensive install or offensive walkthrough. So trying to balance the times where I'm not as needed on offense, right? But I can still show presence and build those relationships on defense. Uh, is really what I've been focused on. And then at the end of the day, relationships are time. Mm -hmm. You know, at the, I mean, everything you do, it's a reflection of where you put your time. That's the, the great equalizer in life is not money. The great equalizer is time. And where you put your time is a reflection of what you think is important. And it's as simple as that. And I put my time into calling players at night, texting players, I put more time into communicating and texting and talking to our own roster than I do recruiting. And most people do that backwards. Most people it's, you know, recruiting one, you're out once the players are here, they're here. Right. I actually flipped that mindset. And my theory is if I treat my players so well and build such great relationships, they're going to spread the word to the recruits that man coach cares coach his doors always open and it's going to help recruiting. So it's more important to the people that are here, important to those guys all the time. And I think everything else take care of itself. One of the things that is is challenging over time as well as the head coach is then your own family. And with with now the seat that you're in and all of the different uh, for, external forces that want your time, uh, as you just meant, mentioned, right? Relationship equals time and vice versa. Wow. Is that ever a challenge? And so what's that been like for you to this point of, of trying to figure out the best way to ensure that, you know, family time is also included? Yeah, it's a huge challenge to say that my time with the family hasn't decreased would be lying, uh, especially in year one. Right. Mm -hmm. But obviously my wife loves football. Uh, that's one reason why I'm getting off this call at 1130 <laughs> is because my wife's coming up here at noon and she's bringing my little year and a half year old and we're going to eat lunch. That's the best um, reason, best reason you could have mentioned right there. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, I've got that. She tries to bring him to practice. We've got a system Tuesday practices. She's coming. Little one's going to stay with a family member Wednesday practice. She's bringing him so I can see him Thursdays. I'll be home at night. Right. So Sundays I'll be there. So we're doing our best and putting together that she's putting together the best plan and sacrificing her time to understand that my time is so few and far between that stealing 30 minutes of time or 15 minutes of time is, is essential, not just for me to be around the family, but for my own sanity, yeah. right? I mean, you need that time, you need to get away. And usually the only thing that gets me away is truly family around is the only thing that can turn my mind off of football. So it's, it's healthy for everybody. 
I, I really like the intentionality of the approach because that clearly is most important. But without a plan, <laughs> without a schedule, and without intentionally following that, um, wow, is that easy for it to fade? Uh, and that's in anything. And so that you've intentionally built it in and it's scheduled and it's sequential is, it won't ever equal out in terms of amount of time, but just the symbolic nature of building that in, into the middle of the week, especially in the football season, I always found that to be just symbolically the most important thing I could have shared with my wife, how much I cared is it's Wednesday and our date is 12 to one thirty, right? In game week. And, <laughs> and there's no way you could say that there's anything maybe more important than put it right in the middle of like the, um, oh, yeah. and, and it just, it always works out. It really does when you do it that way. And so what a cool plan that you're already on your way with. And, and man, I, I'm so hopeful that that consistency and emphasis remains that way uh, because for, for your own renewal as well as your family and uh, wow, is that important? So tell me uh, how do you, how important do you think it is that uh, a head coach's wife at the college, I don't know about power five level likes football or loves football. <laughs> uh, essential. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. It's almost more important that she likes football than if I like, it, right? Because uh you know, the sacrifices that they make, you can't even put, I mean, mm -hmm. you can't, you can't even describe it. Yeah. I mean, there's period, there's periods of time where they're just taking care of a family by themselves. The sacrifices they make are just, they have to love it. They have to love it. Luckily for me, I mean, my wife loves it. I mean, I got home at like eight thirty one Tuesday, uh, because a team, a defense didn't do much defensively. I'm like, there's nothing else to watch. They played quarters every snap. And then they brought like a one-person pop away from the back. Like, I can't. Nothing else to watch. She's like, why are you home so early? You're never home this early. Are you Are you taking it easy on them? Are, are, are you being complacent? Like, that's her mindset. So, I mean, she, she definitely understands it. And uh, she's all in. Uh, that's, that's so fun. And, and that you can laugh and talk about it. Uh, and that you have quality control. Right. Which is oh, yeah. so necessary is is great um, and just really fun to hear about with uh, man, lots of exciting things with the season coming up. And, and even though that you're on the front end of your head coaching career, um, exciting times in college football. What do you see and what do you anticipate the landscape being knowing you have plenty to concentrate on on week one, knowing there's plenty to concentrate with your own team. But if you drew your eyes back or your perspective back even further, um, what, what do you anticipate for the future of college football? Yeah, I think it's going to just continue to kind of do what it did the last couple years and conference realignment will continue to move and, and shake and, and teams will continue to move and shake. And I think now more than ever, you have to not get lucky, but you have to have a really, really good plan for where you think the direction is going. And you have to hope that you're right. And you have to pour like for us, we were recruiting Texas at a higher rate than we ever had. Uh, and that was by a plan when I got there because I knew there was a chance we would eventually move to the Big 12. So I knew that if we moved to the Big 12, we need to recruit the Big 12 territory. So we put a lot more time in there and knowing that there is a chance that that happens. And if you're a reactive you know, staff and if you're not prepared for these changes, then you're going to get stuck. And so we tried to have California recruiting, Texas recruiting as a balance. That way we could go either way and really push. 
So I think the game's constantly evolving. That's the same with the rules. The rules are constantly changing, the transfer portal. And I think you have to see the trends of what's happening out there and be on top of it. That's one thing Lincoln Riley had done a phenomenal job was, was he signed a whole bunch of transfers before they came out that the next year you were going to have over 25 in a signing limit. Well, if they never changed that rule, you know, three years from now, he may have a roster of 47 dudes because they were upperclassmen, but he was forward thinking enough to understand that there's no way they can keep this initial counter rule if they're going to do these changes, which allowed him to kind of be the forefront of this new day and age in college football. And it was impressive to see him navigate that as a young coach uh, through all these, not just the X's and the O's, but the fundamental things that are important, which is maintaining a roster and to see him be innovative with it really inspired me to really think outside the box with what's coming next for us. Yeah. And, and when I became a head coach, that's kind of what I looked at. Really, really well said. And let's face it, the pressure, the visibility and the time frames are reduced. And so if you're not forward thinking and strategic enough, um, your window opens and closes and and you've missed some of the str strategic markers that really could have made the difference when you had your opportunity. And so really well said. Just so much fun to see the beginning of your career in that seat and exciting. Uh, and I wish you all the best. Appreciate you carving out a small amount of time today. Um, but I uh, encourage you just and the family part of it. I love that plan. And I wish you the best with your team as well and, and managing it all. Thank you. I appreciate it. Anytime uh, you want to come quality control somebody, <laughs> you're more than welcome to come out to uh, Arizona State and hang out and see what we can do better. We're always for constructive criticism. <laughs> Thank you very much. I'll, I'll probably have to go through your wife first, it sounds like, which is great. I need a great gatekeeper. <laughs> <laughs> exactly right. Exactly right. So, Brian, you want to close this out? Yeah, good, good, caper, good gatekeeper is always, always important for, for any head football coach. But, uh, Kenny, we, we do appreciate the time. Exciting times there in Tempe with you guys kicking off. And, hey, schedule makers did you a nice little favor starting the whole month off uh, your first month as a head coach all at home that's uh, that's a nice little break <laughs> for you guys uh but uh, you guys came it off on thursday against southern utah thank you so much for the time for bronco Mendenhall and kenny dillingham i'm brian fisher we'll catch you again next week on head coach you